morning. As you all have heard, my name's Josh Howard, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you all met my wife. Most of you probably have through the craft days and all the craft extravaganzas going on for Melissa and Javon's wedding, but she's right there, Brittany Howard. She's amazing. I love her so much. Um, over these last 10 months, Brittany and I have had an opportunity to really pray and relax and reflect back on what God has done in our lives and where God wants to take us next. And it's, uh, it's been an exciting five years that we've been married, and there's been a lot of difficult things that we've gone through together. And this, this time that I've gotten to relax and really think about those things, God has really changed my perspective. And so I just want to kind of give an overview of the last five years. Mark, if you don't mind putting up. So this is where we've been. It's been ridiculous. We, we haven't lived in a place for about more than one year in length. Uh, we, so Brittany and I were engaged about five years ago. We were in love. People would say I was really cheesy. And we were going to a group in Porter Ranch there. Matt Moore said, hey, you know, why don't you guys come and we'll do some premarital counseling in a community group setting. Um, but, the, you know, that kind of didn't happen, but the Lord had other plans anyway, so it was great. Uh, and we started talking about and thinking through, thinking through uh, what it means to love God and love people. And as Brittany and I thought about that, we thought, oh, we can write everyone we love on a 3 by 5 card. Easy. There's, there's no problem with that. We can't look at the neighbor across the street. We can't look at somebody else and say that. We honestly love that person. And so as we were praying through that stuff, God started transforming our hearts. And we got an opportunity to start reaching out to our neighborhood in Granada Hills, starting to love people. And then one day, Brittany got really sick. It was October 4th, 2008. I still remember the day because it was a crazy day. And that just continued to get worse and worse. But for some reason, that didn't stop us. We just kept going on. And we ended up moving from Porter Ranch. Well, we didn't live there, but we lived in Granada Hills. And then we started a community group in Granada Hills and started reaching out to the neighborhood there. Shortly after that, we went over to Northridge to help start a community group there. And then it got too much because we were doing a group in Northridge and Granada Hills. And so we went over to Northridge. And then after a while of being there, we went back to Granada Hills and restarted what we were doing. Then... The Mission Hills group joined us. We were joined together, and then we were a house church. <laughs> and at, during that time, we had these bi-weekly house church meetings, and that's when we met the Fullers, actually, for the first time. Uh, Britt and Nydia and their family, they came over. I think you guys have probably been here like two weeks or something. And uh, we had the Fuller experience in our life, and it was great. And, and so those... House, uh, those leaders' meetings slowly started to die down, and I started to get a little burnt out, <laughs> but uh, these homeless people just started coming into our lives, and just God was teaching us how to love these folks also, and really teaching us how to love people that I wouldn't have talked with before, or I wouldn't have loved before, and it was such an amazing experience, and Brittany continued to get more and more sick, to the point where she was you know, waking up at 1 p.m., making dinner, and then going back to bed. And I was just kind of like, what's going on here? I don't get it. Lord, what are you doing? 
and it was difficult. And so that that was started to wear on me more. And then, then for some reason, I thought, oh, it's a good time to start a business. So uh, it's like, okay. So we started a business in order to help these homeless people that were coming to the Lord, getting baptized, to in order to help them get a job because so many of them had a felony on the record, right? And and that flopped, and it was an, another failure, but we'll learn about that in a moment. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was really, really tired and really burnt out, and we ended the, the church. And that was really, really difficult. And I was processing through a lot of feelings of failure and things that weren't true, but that's how I, that's how I felt. And uh, then we went over to Burbank and helped out at a church there. I served as an elder there, and then the church ended. <laughs> and so, make no connection there, please. Uh, <laughs> and so, it, it was kind of a rough time. But the, the great thing about it all is that we had a lot of time to pray after that. We were locked into our lease. And during that time, I had met with Britt and talked with him, and he told me, you know, Josh... I know you're looking at Venice, I know you're looking at South L.A., but uh, Canoga Park is really the center of God's will. It really is. These other places, they're good, they're in the peripheral of God's will, but this is really the center. And, you know, after praying about it, for us, we found it to be true. It is the center of God's will for us. (laughs) And so, now we're here, this is our home. And I'm excited to just share how this passage impacted my life as I reflected and looked back on these last five years. And so if you could turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses, and we're going to go over verses 3 through 12. So I think it's safe to say that we've all been through some sort of trial, right? <laughs> no problem. We've all, we've all gone through some difficult time, whether big or small. We've gone through, you know, the high school, high school breakup, the thief breaking into the house, lo- losing a job, an unbelieving spouse, all, all sorts of different things come our way during life. And if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I feel like it's difficult to understand and trust what God is doing. I, I come to a point, I start to ask these questions, I ask God, what do you want from me? Like, how do, I, how do I have joy in this circumstance? This is so hard for me right now. And I remember one day coming home, and uh, it, it was, uh, had been a long day. Brittany had just, you know, done the woken up thing at 1 p.m., and then made dinner, and then went back to bed. And I was washing dishes. I was like, oh. And I felt like, I felt like Frodo, you know, I'm halfway to Mordor, and... Sam, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and so I, I was washing these dishes, and the Lord reminded me of a passage where he says, Josh, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be servant of all. And Brittany was one of the people I would have written on my 3 by 5 card. But I was learning that I needed to grow and mature in my love for her more and more, even in a way that I didn't even understand or could have predicted how to love her. And... And so, God really answered my questions through this passage. He really spoke to me and helped me gain a better perspective. And I love the way Peter starts off in verse 1. He sets the stage in both our identity and perspective. He says that we are elect exiles. In my translation, 
It's chosen professional campers. So <laughs> we, we've been, so he's writing to these people, and they were picked to go through these difficult times. They were picked for these sufferings. They were picked for these trials. It, it wasn't that this was just happening by chance. And the truth is, is we're in the same boat as these folks. We are God's children. We are his chosen people. And so we've been picked for these difficult circumstances. And God wants us to be aware that even though we may be sad and we may be grieved, there is absolute, there, there can be joy. There is joy that can be found in his word and in believing in his promises. So let's go ahead and read uh, verses 3 through 12. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you, not, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. When we were leaving the Northridge group, going back to the Granada Hills group, the, the folks there were so kind to us, they gave us like a care package. And uh, two of the books, there were two books in that care pass- package. One book was a book called When God Weeps, uh, written by Johnny Erickson Tata and a pastor named Stephen Estes. And the, at the time, I didn't really read books. I do now, but at the time, I, I didn't really read them. And in fact, Haiti borrowed the book and read it before I even read it. So. <laughs> but over these last 10 months, I started reading, uh, and I read this book. And it couldn't have been more, a more perfect time to read this book. And there's this story in the book that really helped me to understand how God's sovereignty plays out in trials. That there's really nothing off limits for God. And that he's going to allow in our lives the things that we need to mature and grow. And so the story is about a nurse, a man named John, and Johnny Erickson Tata. It starts off like this. A nurse friend approaches with a syringe and a plastic container of creamy liquid. He and I keep chatting as she undoes the lower buttons of his shirt. His white abdomen is exposed along with a patch and a permanent feeding tube. Into the tube, she plunges lunch. He doesn't seem embarrassed, but I still cover the moment. It must be hard to know when to say grace when you get fed through a tube. Months pass. The air is chillier. The day's shorter. John Wheel's chair sits unused in the corner. 
He's too weak to sit in it much. His bed stands in the center of the living room. John is in it. Nighttime is no longer friendly. Shadows cast jerking, jagging shapes across the room. Gravity is his enemy as the weight of the air settles on his chest. Breathing is heavy labor. Calling out is impossible. He needs to call out tonight. In the darkness, an ant finds him. The scout sends for others, and they came. First hundreds, then thousands. A noiseless legion inches its way down the chimney, across the floor, secretly crawling up his urine tube, up, over, and onto his bed. They fan out over the hills and valleys of John's blanket, tunneling under and onto his body. He is covered by a black, black wriggling invasion. And this is Johnny speaking. I'm across the ocean in England when the fax arrives at my motel, relaying the story. John's wife, along with the nurse, found him in the early morning with ants still in his hair, mouth and eyes. His skin was badly bitten and burned. Pray for him, the fax conveys. We've never seen him so depressed. Many of us become like John when we're facing trial. We, get, we become grieved. We become depressed. We start to question God. And during our trials over the last few years, I, I, I asked God, you know, why, did, why bring me so low? Like, what did, what did I do wrong? Am I, am I doing something wrong? And I'm sure some of us are suffering now. And some of us have suffered recently. And some of us will suffer soon, right? Don't worry, that's for later. I, I, uh, I mistimed this. <laughs> so... It, but it'll all be good in the end, right? So, uh, <laughs> sorry, I lost my place. We'll just wait for the next pizza. Can you believe that? That's 36 inches in diameter. Isn't that ridiculous? I, I didn't even know they made t- There's actually a bigger one, but I guess the one here doesn't make it. They bring it in a wooden box to you. So, I know that... Some of us, we're suffering now. Some of us, will su- thank you so much, man. Some of us are going to suffer soon. And some of us have just gone through something. Not everybody's stomach is going to be focused on that. But, uh, And something I wanted us to do is just take a moment to think about our response to those times of trials. You know, what... What is your perspective as you've gone through a trial or going through a trial? And what has been your response to that trial? And Peter is writing this letter to address these questions. These questions that I have, these questions that you are probably thinking as well. He's explaining to us how we can rejoice in these dark moments of our lives. And Peter points out how this beautiful salvation that we have and we will fully realize someday is through God's sovereign power through genuine faith in something that is absolutely to be treasured. And so let's first look at how we receive this salvation through God's sovereign power. In verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First off, we have been born again to a living hope. This hope is something that's not fading, it doesn't go away, and most importantly, it's not wishful thinking. I think, like, sometimes I get confused between hope and, and wishful thinking. I use hope and wish interchangeably, but 
it, it's not the case with God. God's a sovereign God. He's in control of everything. And so if He gave it to us, then we will receive it. And so when I, when I think of hope and wishful thinking, it, it makes me think of my little sister, actually, who's 10. And she started using the Internet at 3 years old. I don't know how that happened, but she was able to do it. And it seems like every year without fail, she sends me her Christmas wish list via email. And, uh, and some of the things are a little extravagant, but some of the things are totally reasonable. But she's hoping that I go and get all those gifts. But the problem with her hope is I may not get all those gifts. I probably won't. In fact, some of the things are way too expensive. So I don't. But she's hoping that she gets those things. And her hope can be disappointed. In fact, it will be disappointed. But it's not, it's not like that with our God. Our, our God is totally going to come through on His promise. Our hope is not going to be disappointed. So it, th- this whole thought of wishful thinking and hoping started to make me think about, well, when I, when I am in a trial, what am I placing my hope in? Am I, and most of the time, I'm just hoping that it ends soon. And that, that's not the case. Brittany could have continued to be sick. She's really healthy now. But... She, she could have continued to be sick. We could have continued to have to struggle with that. And I couldn't place my hope in the fact that maybe someday she'll get better. Because that, that hope isn't lasting. That hope isn't in a sovereign God who's in control of the universe. And so the question I have for you as well is, what is your hope grounded in? As you're going through trials, what are you thinking of? As, uh, what, are, what are you holding on to? Are you holding on to that at the end, like me? Or are you holding on to your own strength, your own energy, your own ability to push through something? If our hope is dependent upon us, then we're just like my sister. We're just full of wishful thinking. But the truth is, is we have this hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is alive, and He will continue to live, and He will return for us, and we will obtain the salvation. And, and that is absolutely guaranteed to those who believe. It would be, it would, like, let's say my parents were a little funny and they, they wrote the name of my, my sister on every receipt of, of a gift that they bought for her, and she found those receipts. Then she could sit back and relax and think, sweet, my gifts are in the bank. <laughs> I'm getting them on Christmas Day. I know I will receive them. That's, that's more like the hope that we have. We have the receipt. We will receive this salvation. And so we can rejoice. And not only, not only are we going to receive this salvation and that we've been born to this living hope, but we're also being saved to this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so this inheritance is another aspect of our salvation. We have received the salvation, but we haven't yet fully realized it until we join the Lord. And we will join the Lord because we are His children. So He's caused the salvation, He's given it, and He's protecting it by His power. And that is why it's imperishable. That's why it is undefiled and unfading. And at first glance, when you look at verses 4 and 5, you might think you have something to do with this, that it is your faith that is helping to guard the salvation. But that's not true because God even gave us the faith to believe and this faith, is, this faith is us believing God's Word to be true 
And because we believe God's word to be true, it's going to change the way that we live, or it's going to dictate the way that we live. One verse that I like to go to when I think about this is Matthew 6.33, where it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added unto you. It, we can totally bank on God taking care of what he knows we need, not what we think we need, and we can continue to pursue him and serve him in his kingdom. And, and that is how our faith plays out. So we don't guard this unfading inheritance. It is through the faith that God has given us to believe his word that it is, it is guarded through his power. And when, when I read this, these words, unfading, imperishable, un, undefiled, it's really difficult for me to imagine because that's not around every day. You don't see that anywhere, right? And in fact, if you could put on the next slide, Mark. So... This is our apartment after the first day of moving in uh, to the left here. Brittany and I took showers, and there was water running down the walls. And so we just, we just got there, and it already broke. That's what I'm used to. <laughs> you know, you, you get things, they break, you fix it, you throw it away. It's kind of like, just that's how, how life is. But that's, that's not the way it is with God. With God, this inheritance is unfading imperishable, and will not expire. That rancid smell that you, when you find something in the fridge that's bad, doesn't happen with what the Lord has for us. And that is so exciting. He has caused it, He has given it to us, and He's guarding it. And when I think about how He's doing this, He's doing it by His power, and His power is off the charts. It's incredible, right? He parted the Red Sea. Jesus has healed thousands of people. He has raised people from the dead. And like uh, Ernesto was sharing this morning, you look at Carmelo's life, and Carmelo is being transformed. God, the way, one of the ways he has touched my life is I used to be crippled in my arm, and I'm no longer crippled. He completely healed me. And so those are small things that God has done. God has done a huge thing through his son by offering us an eternal inheritance and salvation. And this is why we can rejoice. This is what we can hold on to. If we look at verses 6 through 9, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so, this beautiful salvation is through genuine faith. This, this whole thing, all these trials is temporary. So we, we can rejoice, we can continue to hold on to this living hope, this unfading inheritance. We have salvation, and this is what we were born to. This is what we were chosen for. So these, these trials aren't for no reason. They're for a specific purpose. They're for our faith. They're for our purification. What this passage is talking about uh, in terms of the gold and the purification process is the gold is refined. It's heated up. The impurities rise to the top. Those impurities are removed. And in the same way, God is doing the same thing with us. He's removing each of the little pieces of things that we hold on to more than him. The things that we actually hope into. Like I, like I was hoping in 
my own strength sometimes instead of in, in God when Brittany was sick. He, he began to even remove that in my life. And so, and when I think about this concept, it's, it's kind of like math. Uh, you start off, you know, with the addition, and then you move on to the subtraction, and then you do the multiplication and division, and you slowly grow to word problems. And if, if I remember, everybody hated word problems in school. No, not a single person liked them. But, but by that point, you've learned all that you needed to know in order to handle the word problem. So you can do the word problem. And then you grow up and you realize everyday life is a word problem. Josh walks into Starbucks. He has $2.90. Mocha is $3. And he has a 10% off coupon. But tax is 9%. Can he buy the mocha? I mean, we face that every day, right? <laughs> every morning. And when, when Brittany was sick, God totally brought me to a point where I had to just pray. I, just, I had to just ask God to do something. We had gone to several doctors. They didn't know what was going on. And we were just at a loss. And so we just continued to pray and pray and pray. And then one day God did answer our prayer and led us to a doctor, which was amazing and we're so thankful for. But what was happening, happening was my faith was being refined. I was being purified. I, the hope that I had in my own knowledge was being removed and replaced with a hope in what God could do. I was, I was going to God in prayer versus depending on my own strength. And that's why this faith is so precious because it, it is what's resulting in our salvation. It is what God has given us so that we obtain salvation. And so I was thinking about, well, what, what are precious things in my life? Because... I don't really have anything precious <laughs> or valuable, I would say, except for my wife. But uh, I, I, I thought about the mall. You know, you're, you know when it's closing time at the mall and you're walking by those jewelry stores and they're removing all the jewelry from the display cases and putting those things in the safe and then they throw the gates on and they lock everything up? That was the most valuable thing I could think of. <laughs> but it's, it's protected. It's guarded by these gates, it's guarded by all these things, and why? Because it's precious. It is something very valuable to these people. And I had not thought about that. I hadn't thought about how my faith is so precious that I have something that is even more valuable than the jewelry stores at the mall, which is, it's incredible. And so, we have no reason to be discouraged, and we can continue to act upon God's word and what he says, and believe what he says to be true. So let's continue to God, draw near to God, continue to pray, continue to spend time in His Word, and continue doing exactly what He's asked us to be doing. And so this salvation is not only precious, but it's something that has been treasured and valued over generations and generations and ages. If, if we look at verses 10 through 12, we see, I'll just go ahead and read it. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 
So this salvation is something that is treasured. Prophets and angels have desired to look into this thing. People wanted to know about it. And, and I, as I was thinking about this, I, I thought about the question, or thought about times when I've asked some, somebody about something, and they've responded, I know, but I can't tell you. And I hate that response. You know, and you feel like you should tell me that you know, but you also can't tell me. So why did you tell me that you know if you, if you can't tell me that you know? And so that just kind of destroys my mind and makes me really anxious because I want to know what's going on here. And God, God's plan of salvation is kind of like that. He, he told us that he was going to send the Messiah, that there was going to be someone to come to, to save us, but it was revealed a little bit, a little, a, a little by little over the ages. And the prophets looked into it, they inquired about it, people wanted to know, they wanted to know where the Messiah was going to come from, what, he, what was he going to be like, what was he going to do when he came. And, and, but now, we, ourselves, we live in a time when Jesus has been revealed. We know who the Messiah is. We know all about, well, not all about him, but we know a lot about him. <laughs> and uh, it is an amazing time that we get to live in to have Jesus and to have the knowledge of, of the Messiah and the Holy Spirit living in us. And so the question I have for us is, how do we view our salvation? How, how do we look at that? Mostly, most days for me, when I wake up in the morning, I don't even think about it. I, it's not crossing my mind. But the truth is, is I am a chosen professional camper. I've been picked for this. It's awesome. I, I get to be a part of the salvation that God had talked about over the ages, and I get to receive this inheritance that nobody can take away from me. And so, what I desperately want for us this morning is to understand the perspective that God is teaching us in His Word that we are tested for the growth and proof of our faith. Our faith that results in salvation is in our sovereign God, a God who's actually in control of every trial in our lives. And so let's believe in these truths and remember, we have been born again to a living hope that is more than wishful thinking, that our inheritance is safe and secure by the power of God through faith, the only reliable and powerful bank in all creation, These trials are for the testing of our faith, a faith that is more precious than gold. The outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls, a salvation so spectacular that prophets and angels long to look into it. If we understood this, we would rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. We would remain full of hope during our trials. Like when when I was washing dishes that one night, I wouldn't... I wouldn't have been like Frodo, you know, <laughs> saying, I can't do this, Sam. <laughs> I, w- I would be focused on what I have and what's to come. And the, and the truth is, is when I'm upset in my trials and with these difficult circumstances, I'm only upset with God. I don't like what God's doing in my life. I, I don't like His plan. I don't like how He's growing me. I would prefer a much different route of growth. <laughs> But if I remember these words, I will have inexpressible joy. I will be excited about what God is doing when I look at the big picture. Because 
I have a salvation that's been caused by God, given by God, and is protected by God, who controls all things. And what's so wonderful about all this is there is an end to it. We will someday be with the Lord, and we will fully realize our salvation. And this comes to our, we get to our pizza here. James, can you mind opening this real quick? Thanks. Uh, so, when I was thinking about how amazing this time that we, where we get to fully realize our salvation, it reminded me of a time that I ate pizza. And it was literally one of these picturesque, terrible nights, right? It was December, it was cold, it was wet and rainy. And we got a call from a friend that our friend was in the hospital and she was losing a lot of blood, and her husband, her husband was there, and he was pretty stressed out. And so we went and joined them, and part, part of the difficulty was it was around Christmas time, so parts of the hospital were shut down, and so they weren't able to get the blood transfusion that they needed for her, and so they were pumping her full of saline instead of blood. And by the time, I think by the time we got there, she had already lost a liter of blood, and to just give some perspective, the body holds about five to six liters, which is about 20. And so we, we were waiting there, praying, uh, just hoping that everything would be okay and that she would come out and the doctor would say everything's fine. But we didn't know. We were totally stressed out. And then finally the doctor came out and said, everything's okay. And it was like the most relieving moment. It was just like, oh, yay. We don't have to think about this anymore. It's done. It's over. And uh, the three of us, we were pretty hungry. And so we went to the pizza cookery and brought pizza back to the hospital. And we ate it. And it was the most satisfying pizza we've ever had. I've been there again, and it's not as good the second time. But um, it's still good, but not that good. It... And the reason it was so satisfying was because we had been relieved. Everything was over. It was done. And so I thought, I wonder if this is what heaven's like. I wonder if this is the feeling that we're going to have when we get to heaven. You know, when we fully realize our salvation and we, we gain the inheritance that God has given us. We're gonna, you know, we're going to sit down with the one who authored and perfected our faith. The one who's given us everything. And, you know, those that were naked on the streets are going to be clothed. Those that were hungry will be totally satisfied. And it's, it's going to be an amazing time. And so we're going to sit there, and it's like we're going to take this piece of pizza. Like, like these are pretty big, right? We're going to take a, a nice big piece of pizza, something like this anyways. Mmm. Oh, it's so good. And it's going to be delicious because we're going to be absolutely relieved that these trials that we went through are done. It's over. We have peace now and peace forever. And it's probably going to be an organic pizza with no genetically modified foods. And my wife can eat it. It will be absolutely amazing. And so let's pray. (laughs) Lord, I thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us.
And I just thank you for your grace and the love that you have for us. And I thank you that you have prepared a feast for us and that we are going to partake in something so amazing when we, when we do come to join you. I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters here and that you would continue to help us to draw near to you and depend on you in everything and go to you in prayer. I thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.